0: Today we've got another look at the parable of the prodigal son. Our message is simply entitled, The Father and Two Lost Sons. Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard is next. Welcome to today's broadcast of Truth for Today. Pastor Phil Howard is continuing with our series, Parables of Luke, and we find ourselves looking at one of the more famous parables that Luke has recorded, the parable of the prodigal son, or as Pastor Phil likes to call it, the father and two lost sons. Today we want to begin our time together taking a look at why the father is running. It's rather unusual for an elderly statesman to be running towards a rebel son. But there is so much here that will encourage our hearts. So let's get right to it, shall we? Here's Pastor Phil Howard.
1: Now, why did he run? The custom of the day was when a rebel came back, the village had two rights. They could form a mob immediately, and this would be the normal course. And two, they would go as a village with one voice and begin to slander him, cuss him, curse him. And to ridicule him and hope that the mob did not turn it into a lynching party. The dad knew the custom. Guess what he did? I must beat the villagers to him. I must get to him before anybody lays a hand on him. And he gets through the village and he runs. And this awakens all the villagers and they see the old man. They've never seen him run in public. They've seen none of their noblemen run in public. What makes an old man run? It's when a rebellious son wants to come home. And he runs through there. And it's a moving thing because the village was going to be a gauntlet in which the boy would have to go through and be hit, spit upon, cursed, slandered, men and women, boys and girls, hit this boy. He has despised his father, and he's despised in this village. But his dad saw to it that didn't happen. He got to him first. And when he got to him, he did something amazing. In that culture, rebels, when they came back, you had to kiss the feet of the one you offended. The boy doesn't kiss the dad. The dad starts kissing the boy. And I love what Kenneth Weiss translates it. He smothered him with kisses. It's a present tense. He kisses, kisses, and kisses. That means you're in fellowship. Oftentimes, when a village had a disputed between several men. When they finally reconciled the dispute, you'd have the men come into the city square and they would kiss each other publicly in order to show the rift was over. The dad is smothering him. And you see him throw his arms around him. I, I see a lasting embrace and kiss, 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 kiss. Now, he didn't say take a bath. He didn't say clean up. You better change. There was no speech, no lecture. You better get your act together. You better never do this. None of that. And all the time, Christ is trying to portray what God's heart is like towards a lost sinner coming home. God is really willing to run to him. He breaks all protocol. Starts kissing this boy. And then to add to it, he's going to throw a party for a rebel. Come on. This is against everything that's just and fair. The boy that deserves a lynching is going to get a party. And look at what this father, you know, the old man is losing it. Quick, bring the best robe. Guess who owned the best robe? Dad. And dad brought it out for festivals and special occasions. Get my robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, and this was the signet family ring that you put in the wax. Give him back the family rights and family authority, and put shoes on him. For noblemen's sons wear shoes. Slaves don't wear shoes. Treat him like he's the son of a nobleman. Put the shoes on him. And he's ordering these servants. Doesn't order the boy. He says, you're a son, not a slave. And so they rush in there, bring the fattened calf. And this basically was filet mignon. The normal meal was goat. That was the normal thing you ate. When you go after the calf, you're going for prime rib or a ribeye steak. And I'm hungry already. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And oftentimes what we do, we end the story there, but Jesus didn't. Because that's not the purpose of the story. The real intent of the story now moves to the older son. Meanwhile, the older son, now look at this shameful relationship. The older son was in the field. Now, why wasn't he with his dad running out to greet his younger brother? Come on, he's the older son. He would know the dad's heart. Or or at least he would have told all the servants, prepare the meal. But he's an outsider. He's out in the field. He's not even in the house. What Christ is going to say, you can be around the father's house and not have the father's heart. He loved the field. He didn't love what made the old man happy. He loved hanging out like the Pharisees. This is my father's house. What would you know about the father's house? You've turned it into a den of thieves. You're self-righteous men that despise who the Son of God is running with. You really are the older brother. And so what does he do? He... Your brother's come home. We're having a party. Come on, join. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And once again, the dad takes the humble route. This was an indignity indignity he did to his dad. He's publicly embarrassing him. But he goes out and pleads with him, and he calls him the term technon, my little child. Hey, he's a grown man. He's supposed to be helping out the old man. He's supposed to be rejoicing. And you see the dad outside the house. My my child, a tender term, my, my born one. I, I'm pleading with you. Come on into the house. Join the party. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And guess what? At this point, the Pharisees are saying, that is right. That's our man. Call for justice. You don't throw parties for rebels you punish, you penalize. And in the story, this is the only thing that the Pharisees would say, right on. That's it. He's not made restitution. He's made an irreparable kind of break in the family. This boy's got it right. No parties, no going in. This is our man. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, the older brother was a prodigal at home. He was wasting his life in wrong attitudes towards the father. I'm earning everything you give me I've been slaving on this property all these years. Wait, who owns the property? The dad or the elder son? The elder son, he already gave it to him. You're not working the land because you love the father. You're working the land because you're greedy for a profit. It's all for you. You don't love the father any more than the young rebel. But the young rebel is that sinner at his worst and over here you represent the self-righteous at their best. You earn everything. You got it coming. I keep all the law. I'm righteous. I'm slaving for you. Come on. If you're going to be good to anyone, be good to me. No grace there. All merit. But in the midst of it, He didn't have the Father's heart. He didn't feel like the Father did. He was not gracious. And to the Pharisees, this is a foreign kind of story. This thing is full of exceptions, these outrageous cultural things. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to tell you, God will run to welcome a sinner back home. God will run to find a lost sheep, a lost boy. You see, God's grace has something for those who have forfeited everything. God's grace is extended to those who have no rights. Their sin has earned them everything. They have coming. They deserve to be a pig since they've chosen to live with them. Let him rot. He made his bed. Let him die in it. But that's not God's heart. That's not the Father's heart, but it was the Pharisee's heart. It's quite interesting. I love what Mark Twain said. Having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. There's nothing any worse than running with the self-righteous. It's lethal. And in the church, the church is full of it. That's why we tend to be nostalgic about Holy Ghost Hall. Because everything you would think that couldn't make a church came to a church. Oh, there's a few of us straight folks. We knew how to dress like church. We were churchy, been in church for years. We knew church protocol. And all of a sudden, God's given us a bunch of uh, folks that aren't clean, don't meet the protocol. Uh, don't dress churchy. They just come like sinners. And it's so easy to fall in this Pharisee camp. I think something that uh, is very amazing. The elder brother never does come into the house. He never joins the party. The story ends with him outside the house. Uh, He's too angry to celebrate because this story does not meet his self-righteous standards. His father's insulted in front of the public, and he'd rather insult his father and make his case than to join his father's heart and welcome. The older son earned everything he was going to get, and so, Dad, you've never treated me the way I want. I think what's an amazing thing is I've studied with different uh, men on this that many narrative stories would have eight phrases, eight uh, stanzas to it. It was a typical poetic way of telling stories. And in the telling of the story, it's broken up in sections of eight stanzas, eight stanzas. And when you come to this last section, it ends with seven stanzas. We never know how the story ends. You're just left there with a... Rejoicing father pleading with an angry son who never listens to his appeal and comes into the house. And in the house is a bunch of partying going on because the younger boy is being treated like a king again. That that eighth stanza is missing in the story. So it ends in the telling of it on suspense. But the father pleading to the older brother, this is my son that was lost and is found. I have every reason to rejoice. And it just stops. We hear no more reply from the elder son. Do you know how I would like to write the ending? Like this. And so the elder son heard his father's pleading, heard the music, and began to think about it. It says, That's right, I should join my dad. He's getting old, and my brother's been gone a long time. I, too, will repent, and I will join my dad in the party, and I will apologize to all the guests that I withstood him. And so the two brothers and the dad lived happily ever after. I wish that's how it ended. I have a a hint of how it ended. The way the story really ended, since the father in the story represents Jesus Christ as a representative of the father's love. God so loved the world, he sent his representative, his son. And the one in the story that's having to defend my love for sinners is me. I'm meeting with tax gatherers, fallen people, uh, unlikely to you. And so the story clearly is a picture of the father's love being carried out in the son's mission to seek and to save that which was lost. You know how the story really ends? The elder brother takes a club and beats his dad to death in front of the party. In a matter of three months from when this story is told, they will take a spear to the father, they will drive nails into the Father in this story, who was God the Son, God's display of seeking sinners. And they will say, We will not have this man. He companies with sinners. He shows off something about God we've never bought into, and that is, He's gracious, forgiving, merciful. We will have no such God for us. And they kill the Father in a matter of three months from the story. But there's a great verse in Hebrews 12 that says, Christ endured the cross, despising its shame, for the glory set before him. And the glory of the cross was not just him getting back to heaven. The glory of the cross is, I'm going to make my father happy. And what makes my father happy is getting prodigals back home, save sinners, rescued from the slums of this earth, rescued from self-righteousness, because whether you know it or not, today our God will party all day. I hear from missionologists, there's at least about 100,000 people a day that get saved. That means God the Father will conduct 100,000 different parties today in heaven. If that's what makes God happy, what should make us happy? seeking to save that which is lost, ruined, rebellious, dirty, rascals, who cares? The worst case you can draw. And to see them come to Christ, profess faith, even as this story in Brooklyn Tab, what moves us when we see Brooklyn Tab uh, videos and testimonies is they always seem to have the worst case scenarios, drug addicts. Well, God can save you with a good job and a self-righteous attitude. But the higher up you are in this life, the the less appealing God looks to you. I love what uh, Mozart wrote in one of the lines of his concert called The Requiem. He wrote one amazing line that is beautiful. He said, remember merciful Jesus, that I am the cause of your journey. What brings God down from a throne? You and I. You and I. And what Jesus is wanting us to see, what he's trying to get the men of his day to see, God is nothing like what you fabricated in a religious setting. You've taken out grace. You've got laws, traditions, rules. You know how to stone harlots. And you know how to reject tax collectors. But you don't know how to enter into the party God throws when one lost sinner comes home. I uh, uh, saw uh, the movie The Chosen it's about Zionism and the restoration of Israel Howie Hendricks required us to see that movie we went to see it The Chosen and it's about a liberal Jewish family and a Zionist family and their feuding and the division among the Jewish people overtaking the land and quite a historic novel uh, story but it ended, i never forget it, as the screen was giving all the tributes, a, a Jewish story pops up that it said this way. A Jewish father and his son were estranged from the son's rebellion. And growing lonely and homesick for home, the boy writes to the father and he says, Father, I wish to come home. Can I come home? And the father's answer was on the screen. My dear son, come as far as you can, and I'll come the rest of the way. And when I saw that, I thought of uh, 1958. I was sitting right where this young lady is on the second pew, and they weren't pews. They were terrible wood benches that would make you have back trouble. And I was sitting right down there behind where Rich Rollins was, and my sister-in-law and her three boys and my brother on a Tuesday night and I just thought I only walked about 12 feet but the father emptied the throne of his best and came from a throne to a manger and then Gethsemane then the cross just to get a rebel a party and God has already thrown a party in heaven for my reception into the family just as he threw a party for you and so uh i never come to this story but what i don't think of the words and in our hymnal they have luke 15 let me read it to you it was written based upon this story i've wandered far away from god now i'm coming home the paths of sin too long i've trod lord i'm coming home i've wasted many precious years now i'm coming home, I now repent with bitter tears i've tired of sin and straying, Lord, I'll trust thy love, believe thy word, my soul is sick, my heart is sore, my strength renew, my hope restore, coming home, never more to roam, open wide thine arms of love, Lord. I'm coming home. What's your heart? Is it the Father's heart? Or do we have a scale measuring everybody? I want to ask you, are you home? Are you in the Father's house celebrating? Both boys picture us. One, our outrageous rebellion and sin, and the other is our self-righteous distance from what makes God happy. What makes God happy, pews or sinners getting saved? Sinners coming home. What makes God happy is when you came home, it brought joy to God. It's kind of hard. It's overwhelming to me that I could make God have joy he wouldn't have otherwise. Can you put that in your theological pipe and smoke it? Well, it's true. He's telling the Pharisees, there are certain things that make God throw parties and have joy. And it's not because of a lot of stuff we've placed the value on. It's when poor, lost sinners come home. I must say this personally. You can never know what it meant to a father to get a phone call from your daughter that says, I want to come home. I've experienced it. Five thousand miles away, two babies later, This girl that led music today calls and says, Father, I can't make it without God, and I can't make it without my family. I know I've I've despised my birthright, but can I come home? And she did. Have you come home? Are you a believer? Or have you been a believer that has lost the Father's heart? You're too self-righteous to have the Father's heart. Your religion stinks. You're part of the Pharisees. Should not the forgiven be the most forgiving? That should be the environment around here. We're throwing parties for people.
0: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today. The ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available. Again, they're at truthfortodayradio.org.